Would you pray with me for a minute? Our gracious Father in heaven, we're so thankful to you for who you are. And as we sang the words of that song, thank you that because of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on our behalf, paying the price for our sins, that we are who you say we are. We are children of God. We have an inheritance of eternal life. We have hope of Jesus coming again and taking us home to be with him. And Lord, we thank you for that. And thank you that when Jesus left this earth, he didn't leave us on our own, to our own devices, to our own wisdom. But God, you left the Holy Spirit here to live in us and to guide us and direct us. You gave us your word. And Lord, uh, as we open your word, we seek you today. We ask you to speak to us through it. Lord, that as we leave today, we would not be the same as when we came in. You are the God of new birth, of new life, of growth, and of change. But you never change. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been working through the book of Jonah. And today we come to Jonah chapter 3. And in a few minutes we're going to be read verses 4 through 10. But first, I got some bad news for you. you know, I, I used to be a school teacher. And one of the things my students always dreaded and didn't like me very much for was pop quizzes. How many like pop quizzes? <laughs> well, I've got one for you. <clears throat> As we think about the book of Jonah and review the story, I've got a real simple two-question pop quiz. And it's multiple guess. So <laughs> it's not going to be too hard. First question. Who was the main character in the book of Jonah? You've got three choices. A, Jonah. B, the great fish. Or three, God. How many say C, God? Yes, you got it right. All right, you've got at least 50%. This is good. <laughs> God is the main character of the book of Jonah. It's all about the character of of God. His love, his mercy, his grace, his passion for people. Second question, what was the real miracle in the book of Jonah? A, was it the great wind, terrible storm, and mirac miraculous instant calming of the sea? B, was it Jonah being swallowed by a great fish and surviving three days and nights in its belly? Or was it C, God saving a wicked city? C. C. Oh, you got 100%. I'm proud of you. We can just stop and go home. This is good. <laughs> the real miracle in the book of Jonah <clears throat> is that God was at work in a city known in its day as the most wicked city on the earth. Nineveh was a bad place to be. You thought Sodom and Gomorrah were bad as you read the book of Genesis. Nineveh tops it. It was a, a city that was an enemy of Israel. It was the capital of Assyria, the nation that eventually destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, scattered its inhabitants. But God had a heart for the people of this city. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. God's purpose and his passion for people in the cities, for our city, for Cedar City, for Enoch. 
toward the end of Jesus' ministry, just actually a few weeks before he was crucified, he had been ministering all through the countryside of Galilee and around Capernaum. And uh, he was healing, and oftentimes healing on the Sabbath, much to the dismay of the Pharisees. He was casting out demons. He was teaching the people. But it says in the book of Luke that, that he had set his face toward Jerusalem. Even though his disciples <clears throat> were saying, no, you can't go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you if you go there. He set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. And, and as he was working there in, in Galilee, some of the Pharisees who were sympathetic to him said, Jesus, Master, you need to leave this area because Herod is seeking to kill you. And it says then, Jesus said, well, go tell that fox, I'm headed to Jerusalem. And uh, then he says, <clears throat> in Luke chapter 13, 34, he's, he's thinking about Jerusalem, the city of God. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often... I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't willing. Jesus, thinking about the place where he's going to go, knowing that the people who adored him, who thronged about him, were going to turn against him and kill him. He was headed there, but he had a heart for the people of God's city, Jerusalem. At the beginning, let's flip back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he had been baptized by John. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days by, by Satan. He had finished that, and then he started his ministry, and he was moved to Nazareth, his hometown, where he taught and performed miracles, but was rejected by the people. So he left Nazareth, and he went to the city of Capernaum. And there he taught and healed and, and having done this day and night, he was exhausted. And scripture says he went to a solitary place to rest. But the people saw where he went. And they went after him, wanting more, wanting him to come back into the city. Listen to Jesus' words. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. Two phrases stand out in that verse to me. One is the kingdom of God. What, what's the kingdom of God? That's the people that God has gathered and is gathering and will gather together through his son Jesus Christ as their savior to be his kingdom. We're part of that kingdom. God is at work in the world drawing people into right relationship with himself into his kingdom through his son Jesus Christ. One of these days, and I'm praying that it's not too far in the future, one of these days his son Jesus Christ, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, is going to come in the clouds and he's going to gather his people together. That's our blessed hope. But until that time we're part of his kingdom and he has commissioned us to expand that kingdom, to be used by him. The other phrase that stuck out to me was other cities. Jesus had a passion for the cities he hadn't been to yet, who hadn't been exposed to who he was, hadn't experienced the life-changing gospel message. The real heart of God, his passion, 
is for the cities of this world. Now, when I'm talking about cities, you know I'm not talking about the buildings or the structure. He's, I'm talking about the people. He, his heart was burdened for the people. Well, with that in mind, let's go back and read chapter 3 of Jonah, starting in verse 4. Remember the, the story of Jonah. God had said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah was a prophet of God. He says, I've got an assignment for you. Go to Nineveh and preach exactly what I'm going to say word for word. And it was a message of judgment. Yet 40 days and the city is going to be overthrown. Not a real popular message. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do that. Where did he head? Remember? What was the city he was headed toward? Tarshish. The opposite direction as far as he could go. There was a great storm. God was calling Jonah back, but Jonah resisted. And finally, God got his attention. He was swallowed by a fish. He was vomited up onto the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. And he walked then, several days walk, to Nineveh. God gave Jonah a second chance. But here we are now in chapter four, uh, 3, verse 4. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Earlier it tells us that to walk through Nineveh was a three-day journey. That's how big the city was. He was only a third of the way through. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Later on, we'll get into chapter 4 and find out Jonah's reaction to that surprising reaction. What if tomorrow morning you woke up and saw in the Iron County newspaper or on social media or heard on the local radio station a declaration from the mayor of Cedar City that the entire city is to shut down and every person is to cry out to God. Everyone is to stop sinning, to turn from unrighteousness and injustice. Did that surprise you? What if the President of the United States did that same thing? That would surprise us, wouldn't it? That's just what the King of Nineveh did. This morning we're going to discover three truths about what God did in Nineveh. And we're going to look at three ways he can use us in transforming our city. Three truths we can learn from Jonah about the transformation of a city. First of all, God was at work in the city of Nineveh. It wasn't up to Jonah to go and start something in Nineveh. It wasn't up to Jonah to change the city. Here's the truth I want you to go away with. God was already at work in Nineveh long before Jonah got there. 
Their hearts were prepared, even though they were wicked, their hearts were being stirred and were prepared for that message of judgment. What's the evidence of that? Jonah had only gone a third of the way through the city when they stopped him. And they interrupted his message and they repented. I've got to tell you about my friend John Epps. Uh, I may have told the story before, but it's worth repeating. Uh, Jonah and I had moved to uh, a new suburb of San Diego back in 1972. Uh, we were about five years old then, weren't we, Jonah? <laughs> Child prodigies. <laughs> We had moved there to start a church. And the, the nucleus of the church we thought was going to be a group of about 20 or 30 people. It turned out to be Joan and me and our two preschool children. So, so there we were in Mira Mesa, a northern San Diego city by, right next to uh, Miramar Naval Air Station, as it was called then. So my job was to, not like Jonah preaching judgment, but my job was to walk through Mira Mesa and knock on doors and share the gospel. And I was doing that, and uh, as I walked down the street a few blocks from our house, I saw a, a young man about my age in his garage building cabinets. Well, I love working with wood, and I like building cabinets. And so I, I stopped and, and introduced myself, and we talked for a little while about building cabinets. And, and we then began talking about each, our, ourselves to each other, and I learned that, that uh, John also grew up in Long Beach, California, where I was born and raised. And turns out he went to a rival high school. Turns out that his birthday was one day after mine. And that we had some common friends. Now, what are the odds of that? Well, we, we talked, and I gave him a, a brochure about our church and invited him to come to church sometime and said, if you ever wanted to talk, just give me a call. Time went by, and one evening I got a call and I recognized the voice in the other end of the line because John had a high-pitched voice, and it was instantly recognizable. I said, John, what's up? I'm glad you called. He says, Richard, I need help. What's the matter, John? He says, well, every day I ride the bus downtown. I work for Pacific Telephone. I get off the bus, and on the corner there's these guys that keep talking to me about religion. And I, I know enough to know that what they're saying isn't true, but I can't prove it, and I don't know why it's not true. Can you help me? So I went over to his house and sat down with him and his wife, Kathy, and that evening they both prayed to receive Christ as their Savior, and we became best friends over the next few years. Um, I, I share that story not to say, oh, it's good that you led them to the Lord, but God was at work in John long before I met him in his garage when he was building cabinets. God was already at work, and he gave me the joy and the privilege of joining him in that work and seeing the results come in my friend John. You get what I'm saying? Where when we, you go, to, go out of your house today, whether it's a school or to work, or you're meeting with friends or you're on the phone, remember God is at work ahead of you preparing the way all you have to do is be obedient and let him use you. Because God was at work in Nineveh, everything began to change in that city. There was an awakening spiritually. Those people of Nineveh, king of Nineveh, like the sailors on the ship where Jonah was before, they recognized the God of Israel. 
They believed God, it says in our scripture. And they began to call on the God of Israel. This was a a pagan nation, full of gods, small g. But they began to call on the true God. There was awakening spiritually. There was life change personally. Our scripture says, let everyone turn from his wicked way. Individuals began to change their lives because of what God was saying. And there was a transformation socially. That's a turn from the violence that was in their hands. The word violence there is, is talking about cruelty and injustice. It's more than just an individual sin. It was their whole society. That was how they were built. That was a description of what was going on in Nineveh. God was at work in that city. Do you know, I can tell you, God is at work in our city. You may not see all the results right now, but based upon what we're learning from God and about God, he is at work here where we are. There's great opportunity for us to make a difference. There's an openness among people to talk about God. Have you found that? If you bring the subject up, you'll find that there is an openness, a willingness to listen. Here's something that really excites me. There's a kingdom mentality among the churches in our valley. Our pastors of our local evangelical churches meet monthly to pray for each other, for our churches, and for our city. Coming in September, there's a a family coming uh, called Adams Road. I don't know if you've heard of their ministry, but they're going to be coming, and coming to our church, but not just to our church. We're working with the other pastors to try to make it a multi-church effort to share the gospel with our community. There is life change happening all around us. So God was at work in the people of Nineveh. He's also, we find that God's work involves his people. That's the second truth. God was at work in Nineveh, but he chose to work through his prophet, Jonah. You know, God doesn't have to work just with prophets or pastors. He wants to work with every one of us. Let me tell you another story about our friend named Tom. We lived in San Diego at that time still, and I was uh, actually principal of a Christian school in Poway. And uh, in Poway, in that little church, in that school, there was a a kindergartner named Kelly, and uh, I think she was a second grader, Susan, and my friend Tom and his wife, B. I got a strange phone call from Tom. Again, it was a four-letter word phone call. Help! I said, what's up, Tom? He says, Richard, you've got to help me. Uh, what's the matter? He says, well, Kelly came and sat on my lap this evening after dinner. And he looked me in the face and says, Daddy, we're sure going to miss you. Tom says, what do you mean you're going to miss me? Well, Daddy, I've invited Jesus into my heart. And when I die, I'm going to heaven. Susan has invited Jesus into her heart, and when she dies, she's going to heaven. Mommy's asked Jesus into her heart, and when she dies, she's going to go to heaven. Daddy, we're sure going to miss you. (laughs) Now you know why he said, help! (laughs) Again, God didn't use a preacher. He didn't use anybody in authority. He used a kindergarten student to bring out what he was already doing in Tom's heart. 
And I had the joy and privilege of going over that evening and sharing Christ with him. And, and he prayed to receive Christ. So they're not going to miss him after all. And they became dear, dear friends. God is at work in Cedar City, in Enoch, in southern Utah, in Iron County. And he wants to use anybody who's available. Notice, even with a reluctant prophet, you know, Jonah 1.1 1, 1 starts off, and the word of the Lord came to his prophet Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah <laughs> says, no thanks. And he tried to get away from God's call. And then it says, after the big storm and the fish and all of that, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And it wasn't a different word. It was word for word the same message, yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Now, God can work any way he wants to work. But he usually works through his people to bring about transformation of communities and cities. Why would he choose to use us to do something he can do without us? What do you think? Because he wants to change us. He wants to grow us. He wants to build our faith and our confidence in him. God didn't raise us up as a church so that we could all have a place to come and worship on the weekends, no matter how pleasant that may be. He didn't call us to focus on ourselves. God wants to do a work of transformation in our city. And he wants to use the people of Red Hills Church. He wants to use us, along with other believers, to do it. Third truth, God's people join his activity by obeying his voice. Although it took a while with Jonah, he finally did what God said. Nineveh's response wasn't due to Jonah's creativity, his strategy, his philosophy, his eloquence, or his preaching. The key to Jonah's success was Jonah simply speaking God's truth doing what he was told to do, saying what God told him to say. You know, in the book of Isaiah, we have an example of um, the contrast. The Jewish people, <clears throat> Israel, have been uh, going through the motions of doing what God wanted them to do. They thought righteousness looked like following rituals. But those rituals were empty. They were devoid of faith. So Isaiah, God speaking through him, told them they've missed the point. And then he says, is this not the fast that I've chosen? This is Isaiah 58, uh, starting at verse 6. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. Is not this fast that I require to share your bread with the hungry, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, your righteousness shall go forth before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, 
the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. When was the last time our city looked at the church and said, you are the repairer of our community? You're the restorer of our streets. You've brought new life to us. Too often we're so focused inwardly that we're not involved in the community. Did you catch what Isaiah was saying there? The gist of what he was saying, the fast I require, the worship of God, the thing that satisfies God and draws God and you near to each other is not rituals or traditions or going through sacrifices. It's getting involved and letting God work through you to minister to other people. Not in order to earn his favor, but because we have his favor and we're responding to it by sharing it with other people. The church is the platform, not just of gathering, but of engaging the city. Excuse me. And watching God transform the city in which we live. The problem with the American church is that we've become islands unto ourselves. Too many times the goal of the church is the church itself. The growth and sustaining of itself. Kind of like politicians in Washington. We elect them to serve the people. And once they get to Washington, their whole focus is getting reelected. And perpetuating their power. Well, that's true of the church too many times. We're so focused on growing our church and ministering to each other and blessing each other that we forget that God's called us to look outward, not inward. God has Cedar City. God has Enoch on his heart. And he wants to use us in that process of transforming it. God's called us to put our arms around the city, to serve him by serving the people. We all know that Jesus is the only way to come into right relationship with God. You can probably all quote John 14, 6 with me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through me. But do you know there are many paths to Jesus? Now that may sound heretical on the phone. There's not many paths to God. Many paths to getting to understand who Jesus is so that we can respond to him and he can bring us into right relationship with God. My friend John, it was his son, five-year-old Kelly. With John, it was being exposed to some teaching he knew wasn't right, and God used that experience to bring him to Jesus. Wherever you are, wherever I am in this community, whomever we, we interact with, God can use those conversations as salt and light, as as words that will work into a person's heart to bring them toward Jesus. Sometimes we're just planting seeds. 
Uh, we live in Parowan, and I love driving down Old Highway 91 and looking at the alfalfa fields and praying right now for the farmers for rain. But you see the, you know, the different stages of growth in the fields, but it started with a seed. Maybe we're just planting seeds at some time. Sometimes we get to be doing the harvesting. That's up to God. My job is to let him use me in every relationship. Through serving others, we develop relationships. Through developing relationships, we lead others to Christ. As one pastor said, <clears throat> we need to take Jesus <clears throat> excuse me, out of our pews and onto our streets. So how do we do this? How do we transform our city? Matthew chapter 5, I referred to it earlier about salt and light. Listen to what, what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are called to be salt and light. So, practical examples. Uh, July 10th. Anybody know what July 10th is in Cedar City? It's a celebration. July Jamboree. It's going to be a big celebration. Everybody's going to be there. Main Street will be shut down. There are going to be booths and relationships and all sorts of good stuff going on. Our church is going to have a booth there. We're going to be handing out water. It'll probably be a hot day. But in, in handing out the water, we're also going to be able to be salt and light to those who stop by. And there will be conversations. And we'll be praying ahead of time that God's going to honor those conversations and use those words to plant seeds. Easy to do. Well, you can do it. God is already at work in those people that we're going to talk to on July 10th. Uh, my friend Karen West, sitting over here, uh, she and her family are, are relatively new to our church. And, and Joan and I got to go with them and some other friends to the city council meeting at Cedar City uh, on Wednesday night. Karen has been involved in the Right to Life movement. She's passionate about that. And she shared a proclamation. That's, now, how many of you like to stand up and talk in front of people? <laughs> Not many of us. I do. <laughs> but especially standing up in a public forum speaking to uh, the leaders of our city. Well, she did it and did a wonderful job. She went to the city council with a proposed proclamation that would designate Cedar City as a sanctuary city for life. From the womb to the tomb, from unborn babies to the elderly, to those who were disabled or dysfunctional, that Cedar City would st stand for something. That took courage to do that. And we don't know whether they're going to adopt the resolution or not. That's up to God. But God told her to do it. And she did it. And people now are thinking about it. Thinking about something of God. Uh, Pastor Dan and Gordon Clemmer are involved in a meeting every Thursday evening. It's a meeting of community uh, leaders discussing the needs of our city. 
Now, they're not going there to preach. They're just going there as Christian citizens of Cedar City. But God is using them in relationships with leaders of our city to bring about change in our city, to, look, to bring about good, but in the process, planting seeds of grace and mercy from God. Anthony, would you come up for a minute? Uh, Anthony Castaneda uh, worked with a group of young people that were here uh, serving our community last week. And one of the things that God led Anthony to do was to go to the Paiute tribe community. Anthony, would you share what happened there? Give us five minutes uh, and tell us. Notice I put a limit. Yeah, it's going to be a lot longer than five <laughs> minutes. Now I've got to get my notes out. No, so um, as Richard is talking, you know, God gives each one of us a passion or a desire, whether it's with Karen uh, with Dan and Gordon. I mean, he's given each one of you guys a passion uh, for the lost people. Matthew 28 always comes to mind when he says, All authority has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, and uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded. Uh, and so when Jesus is making this claim, he's saying, Go to all people groups. And we have a very diverse uh, city. We have a lot of Hispanics. We have African Americans. We have people. We have the Paiutes. But Cedar City is one place that um, is known for the Native American community. And so growing up, I, I see God's hand in his work throughout my life because growing up, I had... My parents had friends that were Native American, um, and we were looking with, to get this mission team into uh, a trailer park to just start building relationships, and as we were reaching out to these trailer parks, nothing was happening, and God, one day I was sitting at home, placed on my heart the desire to go into the Paiute village. Now, when God tells us to do something, though, it's really not easy to be obedient and it's really not easy to get into that place sometimes it is but sometimes it is very difficult and it was very difficult for me as I was reaching out to um, the people to the HR to the maintenance guy I was leaving voicemails nobody was getting back to me and it was really hard because I was like God where do you want us I thought this is where you wanted me to go I thought this is where the passion was uh, the desire that you had given me, I thought this is for sure where I was supposed to be. And I was getting really stressed out because we had the mission team coming like in two weeks. And so we were just praying, praying. And then God opened up the doors. And when we get into the Paiute village, kids are coming out and playing with us. We're able to build relationships. The moms and dads were outside talking with us. They were, by the third day, they're sitting outside waiting for us to come after we got done working, waiting for us to come and play with them and come and talk with them. The moms are sitting out on the porch waiting to have interaction with us. The kids, we had 20 kids on the, on the block. And, you know, I was like driving to pick up Paula for, um, to go shopping. And I almost just started weeping because I'm like, it was hard to get in there, but you just, you just blessed <clears throat> us, and you were already working before we went in there. So just, that's another opportunity 
for us to go in and serve the people within our community. It's nothing big. It's never anything big, but the simple, the simple things of going and becoming friends with somebody, to being able to serve somebody, to being able to play with children who crave it. And it was not... I, a lady comes up to me that Thursday, and she says, Anthony, nobody's ever done this for my type of people. Uh, can you imagine each divine appointment that God brings in your path? He wants to use you for his glory to serve that person, to love that person, because you may be the only person that's willing to do that. <clears throat> so if you're interested in being a part of that, come. I, I, I want to go back. We're going to be going back with um, Edgewood. Uh, we're going to be trying to get through the, the summer. Um, but God's doing a work. He's doing a work throughout many places like he's saying. So um, God, God bless. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So three, three things you can do, we can do, to get involved in transforming our city. First thing is remember, it's not up to you. And that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks that I have. And then it probably is your stumbling block too, is just getting off the couch or whatever it is and doing what God says to do. Fear. How, what if I fail? What if no one wants to talk to me? What if I mess up? It's not up to you. It's not up to me. God is already at work in our city. There's a book written by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. If you haven't read it, it's well worth reading. He says this, watch to see where God is working and simply join him in his work. Second, pray. Ask God to help you discover what is the passion he is planting in you. What is your giftedness? Each one of us is unique. It talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans chapter 12 about how the Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian, when you become a child of God, he implants a spiritual gift in you. A supernaturally, uh, it's, it's, it's beyond your talents or your natural abilities. It's something that God wants to use in reaching other people and in building up the body of Christ. Ask him to help you discover what that is. Ask God to reveal what role he wants you to play in the city. And third, get out into the city. Be salt and light in your everyday interaction with people. Be bold. You don't have to do big things. Playing with children in a Paiute community is not a major theological discussion. It's simply loving on people letting God reach and minister to other people through you. And none of us has the excuse to say, well, I'm not qualified. Because God has uniquely qualified every one of you to be able to be his ambassador, his agent of change, wherever we are. Anthony mentioned divine appointments, and that's a key phrase in my vocabulary too. Every morning as I pray, I know that I'm going to talk to somebody. And I figure that 
even if I don't know what that conversation is going to be or who it's going to be with, God has already set it up as a divine appointment. And so I start my day by praying, God, whatever divine appointment you've got, I don't know about yet, but please let me recognize them. Give me wisdom to enter a conversation. Give me the boldness to speak your word. I don't have to say 40 more days and God's bringing judgment on Cedar City. That's not, <laughs> I haven't got that message yet, have you? But it, it can be as simple as, how may I help you? Something I can do for you? How's your day going? May I pray with you? I've never, ever had a person refuse to pray with me. I've been in ministry over 50 years. And it's become a natural thing. Instead of saying to somebody, oh, I'll be sure and pray for you, I might forget. I'm liable to forget. So I say, may I pray with you? And we can just stop right where we are. I was in Moscow, Russia. And there was my, my translator. This was in 1992. Uh, was talking about things going on in her life. And we were walking into the hotel where our team was staying. And, and I said, well, can I pray about it with you? And she looked shocked because she was from the Russian Orthodox Church and prayers only happened in church by a priest. She says, I guess. And so we stopped right there, people walking around us, doing, going to their places, and we just stopped and prayed for 30 seconds. We finished praying, and, and she looked up with a big smile on her face. She says, I've got my own personal priest. <laughs> she was shocked, you know, that, that somebody could pray outside a hotel with everybody around and nobody else paying attention, and that God would listen. Well, I don't know if it had any effect on her down the road. But I was being obedient to what God said to do at that point in time. And that's, that's the whole point of what I'm trying to get to. For each of us, as Jonah was given a message and a mission and an opportunity, he has done the same thing and will do the same thing for you and for me. Our response needs to be obedience. Say, yes, Lord. Even if it might be an awkward moment, God will use those awkward moments for his purposes, to advance his kingdom. One more quote from Henry Blackaby. Will God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? The answer is yes, all the time. It must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory if we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal himself to a watching world. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you.